Hello, I'm Barnett Gilmer, owner and CEO of Gulf Breeze Recovery. And I'm Kat Carley, Admissions Director at Gulf Breeze Recovery. This is our third podcast in our Beyond Addiction series. And today we're going to focus on the observable behavior of addiction. And just to do a quick recap for you guys, um, what we've been talking about in this series so far is we have been describing really the progression of addiction using the example of this plant um, that I have pictured behind me. So in the first episode, we talked about the soil. We talked about what really makes fertile soil for addiction to blossom and burst forth into the observable behavior that most people recognize as using. Um, and, and what's necessary for this soil to be fertile is a misunderstanding, what we call an outside-in misunderstanding of where happiness, peace, and contentment comes from. And so what I mean by an outside-in misunderstanding is the belief that something outside of myself, some substance, some person, some place, some situation is capable of providing good, peaceful, serene feelings that are gonna be sustainable. In fact, the only place that those feelings come from is from within. Um, It actually happens inside out. Uh, But the misunderstanding that things are actually flowing in the opposite direction, outside in, is what makes a person really, really um, susceptible to addiction. The next piece that we talked about in our second episode were these roots. And the roots are um, symbolic of anything that causes internal unrest, uncomfortable feelings. We talked about things like anxiety, depression, trauma, um, any number of things that create uncomfortable feelings. So when you have this combination of some root that is creating an internal unrest and uncomfortable feeling and this firmly held belief that something outside of yourself is able to address that feeling and make it better in a sustainable way, what you have is a recipe for addiction to grow. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. We're gonna talk about everything that happens above the soil. What do we see when a person um, is you know, falling prey to addiction? What, what can we observe? What's happening with them? What's happening above the surface? Um, and that's what we're gonna get into now. And so, yeah, when we talk about the observable behavior of addiction, uh, you know, we we talk about, uh, you know, when a person is in the cycle of addiction. And, you know, the the cycle of addiction comes by uh, very stealthy. Uh, You know, a person typically doesn't realize that they're in this cycle, that that it happens really slowly. But when a person's in a cycle, uh, typically what happens is uh, th- that they use the substance to feel better, and then of course they feel better, and then all of a sudden they start to not feel better because the substance is wearing off, and so then they go back to the substance to feel better. And then the cycle just continues to happen, and then of course eventually it gets to be to where uh, you know, the person is feeling even worse because of the substance itself creating that feeling, uh, you know, whether it be a person, uh, you know, developing a chemical dependency or, or whatever it may be, and so yeah, you know, we're using the drug to to solve the problem, if you will, that the drug is created in the first place, and that's what we progress to, and then we're just in this cycle of addiction, and you know, round and round we go. And so, when a person's in this cycle. 
then you know there's uh, you know self-protection mechanisms, if you will, that that kind of kick in. And and what I mean by that is, uh, you know, it 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 could be uh, you know minimizing, rationalizing, discounting behaviors, you know, all that kind of stuff that that goes into it. And 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 part of it is you know subconsciously to protect uh, you know the addict the addiction. Uh, and to keep the addiction behaviors going, if you will. And, and so, you know, it's certainly not a conscious thing. It's, it's more of a subconscious. But this is what a person, you know, gets into. So that defense mechanism is really an innocent attempt to protect the addiction. Uh, a subconscious innocent attempt. Yeah, and I, I really want to talk about the role that, that shame plays in this cycle of addiction that you were just referring to. Um, you're talking about the use of the substance relieving a bad feeling and then the substance wearing off creating now a stronger bad feeling which then causes the person to reach for the substance again because they've got this deep held belief that the substance is the only thing that's going to relieve that feeling. And where shame comes in is that it's very tricky. It's very subversive. Um, it looks like it just might work as far as a, a mechanism for change. Uh, we see people all the time that are struggling with addiction who truly believe if I just shame myself enough, if I am just self-punitive enough, if I just scold myself internally enough, then surely I'll change my behavior. Surely I will stop using and stop the behaviors associated with that. The, the problem with that and why it actually makes things worse is that the reason that they're using is to relieve the painful, hard, uncomfortable feelings. So then they add shame on that, which makes them feel worse. And the only thing that they know to relieve that feeling is then the substance, which then increases the shame, which then increases the bad feeling which then causes them to reach for the substance and round and round and round we go. So you have this cycle of addiction and then you have shame as a great amplifier. Um, and I've heard it said that, that a person who's in addiction needs shame, like someone dying of thirst needs salt water. And I, and I really love um, that way of putting it because um, it seems like it just might work, you know? Salt water is close enough to what a person dying of thirst really needs um, that it seems like it just might work. You know, it's water. And, and the same is true for shame and addiction is that um, it seems like it might work. Maybe this time, if I just punish myself enough, I will stop using. Um, but in fact, it amplifies that cycle of addiction over and over and over again until it has completely spiraled out of control. And meanwhile, we still have not addressed the soil. We still have not addressed the roots. We still have not gone anywhere deeper than the behavior itself. And um, the problem is still there. So that's a great point, Kat. You know, I love the salt water analogy. It's really good. You know, when a, when a person gets in the cycle of addiction, uh, it's kind of strange, but the abnormal becomes normal. And, and so, you know, what I mean by that is, you know, let's say for instance that, you know, we buy a new car. And, you know, when we first get it, uh, you know, maybe we're parking it far out in the parking lot so nobody scratches it. But, you know, over time, next thing you know, you get a scratch. 
and that's the only thing you can see and notice. Every time you go by the car, you see that scratch. But then over time, you don't even notice the scratch anymore. And then maybe you get another one. And, you know, so what's happened in that scenario is that the abnormals become, become normal. You know, it's just something that we overlook. And that's what happens uh, with a person's behavior uh, when they're in the cycle of addiction. The abnormal becomes normal and it's not even seen for what it is, which is abnormal behavior. And, uh, you know, we, we protect that. You know, it's just something that we protect. And, you know, you, you had mentioned shame, but, you know, an, another part of this also is ego. And, you know, what I mean by that is that, you know, to, to protect a person a lot of times, uh, what they'll do is, you know, they, they'll want to, you know, blame other people, other things. Uh, if, if other people could just understand, you know, my unique situation and, uh, you know, what I'm going through, uh, then things wouldn't be so bad. Uh, but, but it's all, once again, just innocent, protective mechanism uh, because of the behaviors. Yeah, and so it's funny you talk about ego, and I think we cannot talk about the cycle of addiction and the observable behaviors of addiction, and we've already talked about shame. We can't do this without talking about ego. And I really want to define ego. Um, because we hear that word and I think the way that it's used conversationally is we think of someone with a big ego, with a big head, with a very um, inflated sense of self-importance. And, and that's not really what we're talking about here. It, it can be, but that's just one side of the coin. Um, so the ego is really anything that, that separates us from what is. Um, so the opposite of ego would be me seeing from seeing myself as I truly am. No better, no worse, um, not putting a magnifying glass or minimizing anything. It's just seeing myself as I am. So ego is the exact opposite. It can be this inflated, this sense of self-importance, this um, grandiose idea of of who I am and what I'm doing, but it can also be a really minimizing, um, humiliating voice that says you're worthless, you're not enough, um, no one cares about you, no one cares if you live or die, no one cares if you get clean, you couldn't do this if you tried. It's also that voice. And what this serves, um, what this, the purpose that this serves with the addiction is that it separates a person from the solution. The solution is only available to us when we see things as they are. Um, and as we are going through the cycle of addiction, round and round we go, and now we've added the shame element that's now amplifying the problem. So not only are we going round and round, but we're spiraling up and it's just getting worse and worse. As Barnett has already mentioned, the abnormal has become normal. It may now seem normal to not go to work. It may seem normal to disconnect from family. It may seem normal to rob, cheat, steal, lie, manipulate, um, put your health on the line, all of these things. And um, just as the using is serving to alleviate a bad feeling, 
The ego is also serving to try to separate a person from that bad feeling. It's creating an identity that's separate from the true self. So if I'm this worthless, awful, helpless, terrible victim that all these bad things are happening to, it's protecting the real me. If I'm this awesome, wonderful, grandiose, self-important, um, nothing can touch me, nothing can slow me down, then all the bad shameful feelings are also happening to someone who isn't really me. So ego just continues to play this role in allowing the addiction to flourish because as long as those things aren't happening to me and they're not happening in a way that I can see it for the way that it really is, then this whole cycle of addiction, this whole shame spiral is happening over somewhere in the land of no action. Action can only be taken in the land of reality. And ego is allowing the addiction to flourish in a place where there's no solution. And so, yeah, Kat, you know, the ego uh, adds a, a tricky element, if you will, uh, you know, to addictive behaviors. And, and, and what's so crazy is that the self-protection mechanism actually works for the individual. Uh, and what I mean by that is that, you know, family, friends, everybody can see it. Uh, in fact, you know, people can even confront the person suffering uh, with addictive behaviors and, and, you know, let them know, you know, what, what they're doing, what's going on. And typically it's met with, you know, discounting and, uh, you know, it's, it's not as bad as you say it is. Uh, you know, I don't have a problem, you have the problem, you know, that kind of thing, denial, if you, if you will. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's, real, it's real slippery. And, and the other thing is that, you know, all these behaviors are, are not who the person is, okay? It's things that the person has done, uh, mainly to protect their addiction uh, and protect the lifestyle but it's not who they are. And, 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 you know, it's important to separate that, okay? Uh, because, you know, what they're doing is that they're just living in this lifestyle here. And so, once a person starts to see, uh, maybe through insight or whatever, uh, you know, what's, what's driving the train, if you will, okay? And what's really going on. Then all of a sudden, they get taken out of the blinders, if you will, or they're taken off the blinders that the ego has created, and they start to see things, you know, for what they are. But, but while they're in the cycle of addiction, uh, you know, that, that typically does not happen. Uh, that it, it takes, uh, you know, a wake-up call, if you will, for a person to get there. It's so interesting. We're sitting here talking about the behaviors don't define the person. You know, you are more than the sum of all the things that you've done. You're more than the sum of the things that have been done to you. Um, even a person that is really, really deep in the grips of addiction, that has been stuck in the cycle of addiction, is there's something more to them. They are not their addiction. And this ego, shame, addiction cycle um, really makes it seem like that's all that there is, is, is the, the bad feeling, the solution to the bad feeling, which is the drug or the drink, the then feeling bad on the heels of using, 
and then using the drug or the drink to feel better again and round and round and round we go. And so even though we're sitting here saying, it's not about the behavior, it's about what's under the surface. Um, you're not the behavior, you're what's underneath all of that. Um, when you're actually in that cycle of addiction, the behaviors are so extreme, they are so destructive, and they are so laden with shame and guilt and the hyper-focus of attention that often they get mistaken for the problem. All we can see is the behavior, so of course that's what we're gonna address. And so this is when we really get into um, kind of the fallacy of treating just the behaviors. As we've talked about in the first two episodes, um, there's all of this stuff happening under the surface that is creating this addiction. And when a person is lying and cheating, um, robbing, stealing, staying out late, not you know getting their work done, maybe not even holding a job, not caring for their children, not being available to their families, uh, being super harmful to their own health and sometimes the health of others around them, those things are really, really big. They have really big consequences and we want to cut off that behavior just as quickly as we can. And it's the only thing that we can see. We're blind to everything that's underneath the surface. And so what happens more often than not is a person will try to cut this behavior off right at the surface. Um, if you're not drinking, if you're not using, if you're not lying, cheating, stealing, robbing, um, harming your health imminently in this moment, then it's okay. And what we know about addiction is that that's, that's just not where addiction comes from. That's not enough. Because you can cut this plant right off at the surface, but you haven't taken care of anything that's going on under the surface. And so time after time after time, we see a person that will detox, they'll get away from a substance, they will get through the physical dependency, through the physical withdrawal, and either the very same addiction will come right back because they still haven't found an answer to what to do with uncomfortable feelings. You know, the drink or drug that, that they were originally using is the only solution that they know. Or um, perhaps they've learned their lesson. Perhaps they really had a huge wake-up call with that substance. Um, we see it with overdoses a lot. Um, perhaps a person has used uh, IV drugs and they have overdosed and they have come face to face with their own mortality and they will never touch IV drugs again. But they still don't have a solution to what to do when they have uncomfortable feelings. So they reach for something else outside of themselves. Maybe they reach for alcohol. Maybe they reach for food. Maybe they reach for sex. Maybe they reach to um, a romantic partner, gambling, shopping. Um, this is what we call substitution. Uh, it's really just changing out one addiction for another. And it's because nothing under the surface here has ever been addressed. We're only cutting the behavior off right at the surface. And that does, that works, that, that will really uh, diminish the immediate consequences of the observable behavior in the short run, but it does nothing to address what's causing it. You know, substitution is a, a great point, Kat. Uh, and it, it reminds me of, uh, you know, something that people really don't think of. And we get this a lot in the center. 
where a person will uh, have a gastric bypass, uh, you know, because, you know, they've been suffering from overeating. And uh, so you could say that, uh, you know, maybe they had a food addiction. And, you know, obviously eating was a solution for them. Uh, and obviously that solution created a bigger problem. And so they have a gastric bypass, and so they, they cut the observable behavior. The observable behavior being overeating. But it didn't address the underlying issue that created that problem in the first place. So the next thing you know, the person finds alcohol. So yeah, we can drink alcohol in you know, fairly moderate amounts, if you will, you know, compared to food. And so the next thing you know, the person has substituted a food addiction you know, to, to alcohol and uh, has created an alcohol problem. And, and so then, of course, they come into the center uh, you know, because of the alcohol problem. But it, it's all centered around the same thing. It's all centered around the same thing. And that is the failure to address the underlying issue to begin with, okay? Uh, you know, the, the, the roots, if you will, of the plant, uh, you know, whatever it may be for that individual. And then, of course, the outside in misunderstanding of where our happiness comes from. Yeah, so it's this this mistaken idea of where where happiness is coming from, and I do want to make sure that we're we're differentiating um, between happiness and pleasure um, because there's a difference. You know, happiness. When we say happiness, what we're talking about is peace, serenity, this underlying current, this feeling of well-being. Everything is okay. Everything is going to be okay. I am okay. A feeling of being whole, a feeling of being complete, a feeling of being cared for. And it's, it's a feeling that is in stark contrast to the feeling of pleasure, which a lot of people think of when they think of happiness. Um, this pleasure-filled happiness is what we get when we take a drink or use a drug or get any sort of happiness from something outside of ourselves, even a, a promotion at work, a new car. It is a fleeting, flaring, big feeling. It can be a joy-filled feeling. It can be a feeling that you really, really love feeling, but it swells and it goes away. The happiness that we are talking about is coming from within. It is steady. It is sustainable, and it's that feeling that keeps us grounded and just the joy of being alive, that feeling that everyone seeks that it's all right. It's always been all right. It's always going to be all right. Everything is okay. You are okay. You're right where you're supposed to be, and everything is happening the way that it's supposed to, which is an entirely different thing than pleasure. And because the two are so closely connected, um, because they both make us smile, you know, it's, 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 it's all good feelings. Um, when you get that pleasure-filled happiness of a drink or a drug, it's really easy to chase that, thinking that it's the sustainable kind. 
Um, but we do, we go right back to this fertile soil that allows all of this to happen is this misunderstanding that I can access that sustainable, deep-rooted, peaceful happiness from something outside of myself. Because if that's where I think that it comes from, I will always be chasing it out there. You know, I agree. The soil, what makes the soil fertile, and, and that's one thing I want to make sure that people understand, is what makes the soil fertile for addiction to take hold, okay, is that outside-in misunderstanding, okay, of, of where a good feeling comes from. And why a person want, goes outside themselves to search for that good feeling has to do with these roots, these in, the internal unrest that they experience, okay? Uh, and, and so, you know, we talked about anxiety, you know, depression, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but, you know, insecurities plays a big role, a huge yeah. role in it. And, and with these two, of course, addiction forms, and then we see this observable behavior. Right, and it's like you've got the roots or the internal unrest, you know, the depression, the anxiety, the insecurity, the past trauma, the whatever it may be that creates an uncomfortable feeling, the, the roots are motivating a person to find something different. The soil, is directing them to where they're going to find it and then all of the observable behavior of addiction the plant everything that you could see above the surface is what happens when they find it in drugs and alcohol and so you know the next series uh, we want to talk about how to make the soil fallow how to how to how to make it not fertile okay uh, so that the observable behavior does not sprout up again. And so our next podcast, uh, we're going to speak about innate health. And until then, you know, happy that you joined us. Thank you.